Welcome to the True Crime Lab, a show from Jay and Rude Boy about true crime. Join us as we cover topics like notable and unknown crimes, serial killers, cults, white collar crimes, the occult, aliens, the hamburglar, killer clowns from outer space, haters of Monty Python, the Jay, Irish. Jay, Jay, dude. With deep dives into stories, narratives, and thorough research, we hope you learn something new about even the most discussed cases. We never make fun of the victim or the victim's families, but we sure as heck make fun of the criminals. Because, well, they deserve it. We'll be covering topics each week, so you'll always have something fresh to listen to. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, and everywhere else you get your stories. As we traverse this crime-laden world, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review to let us know what you think about our show. So enter the True Crime Lab with true True friends friends talking about true true crime. This is True Consequences, a true crime and mystery podcast with stories based in New Mexico in the American Desert Southwest. I'd like to give a huge shout out to my latest patron subscribers. Thank you so much, Kat and Christopher, for your support. It means the world to me. If you enjoy listening to this show, please rate, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcatcher. True Consequences is fully listener-supported. To support this show, go to patreon.com slash trueconsequences. To keep up with all my updates, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at trueconsequencespod, and on Twitter at trueconspod. The following episode discusses themes which may be difficult for some listeners. It deals with issues of religious abuse child abuse, neglect, and child sexual abuse. Listener discretion is advised. If you or someone you know is a victim of sexual assault, please call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673. To report child abuse or suspected child abuse, please call 1-855-333-SAFE or dial pound S-A-F-E from a mobile device. That's pound safe from your mobile device. For as long as I can remember, I've always been interested in weird things. I liked books about unexplained phenomena, UFOs, ghosts, weird stuff. One of the topics that always interested me was the topic of cults. Growing up in the 80s and 90s, cults were all over the media. I remember hearing about Jim Jones, the Rajneeshis, and yes, even the Branch Davidians. I watched the raid on the Branch Davidian compound in Waco in horror and awe from the safety of my living room. What drives people to follow these charismatic leaders? Why do they follow them through some pretty insane ideas, including mass suicide and abuse? What makes people susceptible to this type of control? This episode will not answer those questions, unfortunately, but it will look at the role of certain cults in the beautiful state of New Mexico. Some of the things that I love the most about New Mexico make it ripe for this type of activity. New Mexico is the fifth largest state in terms of square miles with a total area of 121,590 square miles. That's huge. New Mexico is also one of the lowest populated states in the US 
with a population of about 2.1 million. Most of those people live in the Albuquerque metro area. The rest of the state is pretty sparsely populated. This leaves lots of open land where a sinister cult could set up their operation. The two cases that we cover in today's show are just an example of two cults that either have operated or are still operating in New Mexico. This is not meant to be an exhaustive look at all cults in our state because that would be a very long episode. Today, I am joined again by my friend Lydia, and we are going to be discussing New Mexico-based cults. I am Eric Carter-Landeen, and this is True Consequences. So, hi Lydia. Hello Eric, thank you for having me today. Yeah, you're welcome. Hey, I uh, I want to say thank you for connecting me with Edna and really just trying to help me with Jacob's case. It means a lot to me. Um, I wanted to do this publicly on the show because um, you're just a really good friend and I want to say thank you. That's very sweet. And I'm here to continue to help. Our fight isn't over. Right. We're still going to work on it. Yeah. Um, next step is the Attorney General, I think, right? Yep. So today I invited you over to talk about crazy, creepy cults. Insert sound effect. <laughs> creepy, spooky sounds. Creepy music. <laughs> we should do that. That'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, New Mexico is uh, pretty ripe for this kind of activity. Yes. I might have stole your thunder here a little bit. but No, please. Um, I... It's interesting how many cults there are here and that have been here and how many cult leaders have been here. There's so many, like we could probably do like three or four episodes about cults. Yeah. Just in New Mexico. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, the definitely New Mexico is kind of prime territory if you think about it. Mm-hmm. We have a vast amount of open spaces yep. and there's not that many people that live here. So it's very easy to go under the radar here in New Mexico. Yeah. Fifth largest state by landmass, but only 2 million people live here. 1 million live in Albuquerque in the metro. Uh, that's a lot of people that are spread out very yeah. far. And we're not marketing to cults. We just want people to understand. This is the new marketing campaign from the New Mexico <laughs> Tourism Board. Cults, come on down. <laughs> Set up shop here. Well, and I think part of like the theme of what you see with cult leaders is they don't like to be called cults. They like to... You know, they prefer the term sect or yeah. like other terms like that. So right. um, even though we call them crazy, creepy cults, they probably would be offended by that. I mean, if the shoe falls. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> uh, you're like, you're going to be very prominent in season two, I think. You're going to be at least four or five episodes, maybe more if I can yeah. swing it. Yeah. I mean. I'm going to do my best. You're basically a co-host at this point. I'm just basic. That's the it. Well, we know that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and go first if you're go okay with that. And I'm going to talk about the Lord, our righteousness church. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they are pretty crazy, pretty creepy, pretty culty. Um, Say it in the voice. Crazy, creepy cults. Everyone hates me now. I lost all my listeners. <laughs> They're all How do gone. I delete this file? <laughs> <laughs> Block, unfriend, unfollow. Um, so the setting for this story uh, takes place in Clayton, New Mexico. Have you ever heard of Clayton? I have. It's a teeny tiny town in the northeast corner of our state, and it is the county seat for Union County, 
which both of us thought that had something to do with Billy the Kid, but I haven't been able to find any evidence that that's true. So maybe we're both wrong. I know Link- <laughs> I know Lincoln County definitely. Uh, Fort Sumner has a museum for Billy the Kid. That's right. Um, so it's a county seat for Union County. The town sits in an area of New Mexico known as the Eastern Plains, and it's the part of the state that becomes more flat, starts to resemble West Texas or Oklahoma. Clayton is only 10 miles from the Texas state border and 11 miles from the Oklahoma border. The city of Clayton has a population of about 27 to 2,900 people, just depending on what website you're looking at. And in the outskirts of this small town, one of the most infamous cults in New Mexico and the U.S. based their compound. They called it Strong City. Strong City. Um, The cult would be known far and wide because of the devious deeds of its leader, Wayne Curtis Bent, or as his followers know him, Michael Trevesser. Why do all the more devious people have three names? Don Wayne Gacy? I don't know, Eric Carter Lundin says. (laughs) Nervously. (laughs) Yeah, John Wayne Gacy. Who else do we have? We have... uh, Who assassinated JFK? What was his name? Lee Lee Harvey Harvey Oswald. Oswald. Yeah, there's a lot of three namers. The guy that assassinated Lincoln. Mm -hmm. What was his name? Sorry, go ahead. Let's let's pretend like we know things. Okay. We don't. We don't know anything. Google. (laughs) Uh, Wayne Curtis Bent, or Michael Trevesser, was born May 18th, 1941. I couldn't find where he was born. I looked everywhere. I don't know. But he did have a troubled childhood like most cult leaders do. He lost his mother at a very young age. And according to him, he was kidnapped and molested as an adolescent, he says, by a homosexual. So I know, Lydia, that you're an LMHC, Mm -hmm. which is a licensed mental health counselor. Correct. So can you talk a little bit about, um, because I was thinking that the idea of sexual abuse can sometimes be more about power and control and less about attraction. But I think you said there is some of that attraction involved in it as well. Yeah. And so we can only really go off of reports of people who self-identify as you know, essentially child molesters. And they have shared that, although they themselves may have been abused in the past, that as adults, um, they do say typically that they have sexual attractions to children. Um, But, you know, you talked about him identifying his abuser as a homosexual. And um, I just want to highlight that that is often used as a scapegoat. Um, Homosexuality is often used as a scapegoat for those who perpetrate against children as a way to like somehow explain the abuse. Mm -hmm. And those are two separate things. And, you know, the DSM used to identify um, homosexuality as a mental health disorder. Um, But obviously we know now that like that is completely not true. Those right. two things are not the same thing. Um, you can be gay and you don't molest children like right. <laughs> a lot of people, you know. So I just want to make it very clear that that is a common scapegoat of people who already hold um, anti-LGBTQ sentiments is that they try to say that they are somehow more deviant or more yeah. likely to be deviant. I think some of the themes that you see with cult leaders, and this is just me being an armchair expert, not really somebody who's been educated formally in mental health, uh, but you do see a lot of narcissism in, in those types of people and in, in abusers in general. I think you see some of that narcissistic personality disorder this is just me saying things that I know nothing about. By the no, way. I think you're absolutely right. I would, I would be, su- I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of them, if they were to actually submit to a diagnostic, you know, biopsychosocial exam, whether or not they are diagnosed with 
um, narcissistic personality. And so a personality disorder is very different than say, for example, like your, your depression or, mm-hmm. um, right. Like it's, it's, it's viewed very differently and very difficult to treat. Sure. Um, I, so I wouldn't be surprised if they had narcissistic tendencies or, um, oppositional defiant tendencies where they distrust authority figures. Um, and maybe like you said, it goes back to their past of where the authority figures failed them when yeah. they were children. Yeah, absolutely. So that was a nice little rabbit hole. Thanks for going down that with me. I'm just going to carry on with his story. In adulthood, he became a Seventh-day Adventist preacher and was divorced twice. And in the late 80s, he denounced his faith and decided to forge his own path. He said, I began to hate life and see most human beings as disgusting in their lusts and their behaviors. He brought several members of his church with him, and they settled in Idaho for nearly a decade. It was then that Michael moved the entire organization to just outside of Clayton, New Mexico. And again, like I said, they named their compound Strong City. It was just a bunch of trailers on a dirt road. Let's be honest about that for a second. It's not really a city. Well, I mean, I can't judge. We're from Socorro. That's like, <laughs> that. Just you just described Socorro. I so. mean, that's my neighborhood that I grew <laughs> yeah. up in, basically. That's where I live now, basically. <laughs> uh, according to Michael, he had a spiritual experience in June of 2000. He states that he was sitting in his chair in his living room and he claimed that God said to him that he was the Messiah. Naturally. Right. He says, and I quote, I am the embodiment of God. I am divinity and humanity combined. God saw that trailer and was like, this is my guy. This is the dude. I want this guy. (laughs) Number one sales. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's how it works. Yes. Shortly after this. This is where it gets kind of weird. Two women in the cult came up to him of their own will, allegedly, and claimed that they both wanted to be with Michael sexually. Allegedly. (laughs) Not just that, but God had commanded them to do so. God's like, you better sleep with this guy or else. Why does God sound like an office manager? (laughs) (laughs) He's Michael Scott. (laughs) Oh, no, he's Toby. (laughs) (laughs) He's Toby. Oh, I mean, I don't know which God they're talking to, but that just seems a little out there to me. Absolutely. So get this. Michael then approached their husbands. Yes, they were married already and convinced the husbands that it was God's will that these two married women be with him now. That takes some cojones. Like he he took those huevos and was like, (laughs) y'all... Hey, I can't do anything about it. This is what God said. God told me. So, so you're going to be mad? He actually did say this. If you're mad, take it up with God. You know, put it in the suggestion box. Just say a little prayer. Tell God how mad you are. I'm going to go bang your wife. Say a little prayer for me. <laughs> Don't do that ever Forever again. Stop. and ever. Stop. Stay in my heart. <laughs> oh, and there's the rest of my listeners leaving now. <laughs> So Michael because Cus- they're so happy. <laughs> Shortly after this, Michael dissolved all marriages within the cult. Members were expected to change their names and give everything that they owned to the cult. Naturally. I like how he just walks in like, your marriages are dissolved. They no longer exist. Yep. This is my legal authority. Your wife is my wife now. Yep. God said. Peace out, homie. You want to take it up with God? Yeah. I'm HR. In- yeah. Call HR. Call Toby. Call Toby. <laughs> Call Kelly and customer service. People Hi, who, this is Kelly. <laughs> people who don't watch The Office don't know what we're talking about. And they hate us even more. Yeah, that's okay. 
Um, so children were not allowed to attend school, as Michael said it would be a bad influence on them. Aside from cult indoctrination, there was no formal education for the kids in this cult. No book learning. None at all. Did they go visit the giant life-sized ark, though? Um, I couldn't find anything that said that. But maybe? Okay. Yeah. Um, It was really sad because one of the boys in one of the documentaries I watched, he was making all these like models of the planets out of clay. And they were really good. They looked pretty close to what the planets actually look like. The interviewer asked the kid, he's like, so if the world's going to end, which I haven't gone to that part yet, but basically they believe the world's going to end then isn't it kind of pointless to spend time learning about the planets? And you could actually like watch the kid's brain breaking in front of your eyes. It was really sad. Um, he was like blinking a few times and he just sat there quietly and he's like, uh, yeah, I, I guess it is kind of pointless. And then like you could just see like all his hopes and dreams shatter. It was really oh sad. Oh my God. It was really sad. <laughs> it was horrible. Yeah, it was horrible. I felt really bad for this kid. And I'll See, don't learn about science. I'll continue. <laughs> science is the devil. Uh, I'll continue uh, to tell you how sad his story is. It's really a horrible story for that boy. So eventually, Michael would take several wives from his followers, including the wife of his own son, Jeff. Right. Um, And in one heartbreaking moment, you can see in the documentary I watched, which is going to be in the show notes, that Jeff seems completely heartbroken. As Michael's describing to the interviewer about consummating with his wife several times. Wow. And the worst part about this, too, is Jeff is still like Team Michael this guy's God. I love him. It doesn't matter. I'm mad at God because he told my dad to sleep with my wife. Mm-hmm. But like, I still love my dad and I still support him and I'm still like Team Michael. Yeah, I think that um, that brings up a good point where we automatically assume that it's only women of a sect or um, something of a cult who have been identified as potentially being the victims of this abuse. But clearly you're pointing out how the men too have become brainwashed yeah. and they themselves are exhibiting that survivor mentality of I, I'm angry, but I don't know if I can be angry at the person who's actually abusing me. So I'm going to point it towards God. Right. Yeah. That's so sad. And one of the things that was really creepy about this documentary was one of the girls in the story um, talks about how people think she's brainwashed and she like makes this joke. She starts laughing. She's like, yeah, I guess I am brainwashed. Michael brainwashed my brain of all my impure thoughts. Did she have like cackling, hysterical, crazy laughter? No, but she had like crazy eyes and a super crazy grin. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They all had that kind of... He washed my brain. I mean, talk about... I mean, that is like, you know, like a literal interpretation of something where she's trying to minimize. Um, uh, That's very sad. It is sad. Um, Okay. So several people left the cult at this time. And some parents even left without their children. The children were left in the care of Michael and the cult. And this would eventually prove to be problematic for Michael, as well as the Lord Our Righteousness Church. Does anybody give any highlight about like why they were, why they had to leave the children? Was it kind of like, they're, it's just easier to get out? We're going to try to get for help or? So from what I read and what I saw, it seemed like the kids did not want to leave. <gasps> They were all, you know, basically saying we're going to stay and the parents wanted to leave. So they just they decided to leave them there so they could get out. I I can't imagine making that decision. Um, So according to the cult, Michael had made a couple of prophecies. Um, One, they said that he saw and told of the attacks on 9-11 prior to them occurring. They also claimed that he predicted the end of the world to be on October 31st, 2007. 
So 13 years ago, this would now classify the cult officially as a doomsday cult. Mm. And as you can imagine, this escalated the crazy. He even said at one point, people who don't receive me will be lost and destroyed. People who accept my testimony will be saved. There's a scene in the documentary, the crew's filming while a mom shows up with the sheriff at the compound to pick up her daughter who refused to leave. Mm. Do they say how old she is? Um, I think she was like 14 or 13. What? Yeah. So this is where it starts to get pretty intense. So apparently Michael had given a sermon about being, quote, naked with God. And so, all right, there is an actual scripture in the Bible that talks about being naked with God. And all of the interpretations that I've heard about uh, growing up in the church and my dad being a pastor and all that is it's really uh, about being vulnerable and about being honest with God. It's not really about a physical nakedness. But you can imagine how people can manipulate that, take it out of context, interpret it into a different way. And for so their benefit starts with one girl, one teenage girl uh, approaches Michael in his in his trailer and says, uh, I've been thinking about your sermon and I want to lay naked, physically naked with you. Like she's describing it. She says he sat there quietly for a moment and considered it. And then he said, OK, so she's like 15 takes off all her clothes, lays with him, skin to skin. From this, more and more of the girls start to do this with him. Hey, hey, hey. According to Michael, he just held them. He didn't do anything sexual with them. But in one interview, he talks about treating the girls with the same respect as an MD. He says, quote, people are naked with their MD all the time. And their MD even sticks their fingers into women's sexual parts. End quote. Insert vomit here. Yep. That's disgusting. That's a stretch, bro. Like, (laughs) you are comparing yourself to a medical doctor, and that that relationship is somehow more nefarious than what you were doing with these little girls. Yeah, no thank you. Well, I think it says a lot about his his mental state that he equates that with sexuality, you know? Like, in his mind. I mean, I don't know that he does, but it seems like that's what he's doing. And yeah. It seems like I'm he's... healing them. Yeah. It's a gentle healing touch. It's not an old ass dude embracing a naked teenager. teenager. Yeah. What a creep, right? One of the crazy things he did was he announced that he would require seven virgins to conduct a ceremony that would help usher in the end of days. Why are virgins always necessary for like these events? I don't know. Like you get virgins in heaven. You need virgins to bring about the end of the world. You throw a virgin in a volcano. Yeah. I think that God really likes virgins, maybe? Mm-mm, I don't know. I mean, mm. has anybody asked him? No. Let's talk to Toby. Get Toby on the phone right now, you guys. Um, okay. So after this, after this, uh, the rest of the underage girls proceeded to lie naked with him, including the girl who was picked up by her parents and the sheriff. So she had done this before they picked her up, which is why they picked her up. One girl even asked Michael to be naked with her, and several of the girls claimed that they felt that God wanted them to have sex with Michael. And I, I really think, I just, I'm sorry to interject, no, Eric. No. I really think it's important that even though, you know, the way it's reported is that it's the girls kind of initiating this contact. I really want listeners to keep in mind that they have been brainwashed. They have been manipulated. These are not ideas that they just came up with out of the blue. This is after year being years exposed to this guy. Yeah. Years of grooming really is what it is. One girl claimed that she would kill herself if he didn't have sex with her. Again, to your point, I'm going to stop and say something here that I want everybody to know because it's something that drives me nuts minors cannot have sex with adults 
It is not sex. It is abusive. It is rape. It's molestation. It's all of those things, but is never consensual sex between uh, two people because a minor can never give consent for that type of behavior with an adult. It's not possible. Yeah. And so again, put this in context. Like these are 13, 14 year old girls who are saying that they they need to do this with this 60 year old man Mm -hmm. or a man in his 60s. Again, like Eric said, these are not, they're not giving consent. This isn't a real consensual relationship. This is abuse. This is rape. For sure. And it's horrifying and disgusting. So even though the girls were pleading with Michael, according to him, he said that he did not because he felt God was testing him and that he was not instructed by God to abuse the girls. Although I don't know that I believe him. I mean, it, it's really interesting that he that his defense is they were begging for it but. and I'm the one. That was like, no, this isn't cool. Like, God hasn't told me yet to do that. But, but let's just wait to see what he says. But totally lay naked with me. Because that's, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Right. Like, he tried to find the the best case scenario to highlight rather than what potentially could have actually happened. Right. So around this time, John Sayer, a former member of the cult, left the cult with his wife and two daughters. He became very concerned when he heard... Michael talking about sleeping with the seven virgins from the ceremony. So again, this contradicts what Michael is saying because he's talking openly to the cult members about actually sleeping with these girls. He told Bent or Michael that it was wrong and they left the compound as a family. Another strange thing that happened in the documentary I watched was the boy I talked about earlier. He was the only boy, the lone boy living in Strong City. His parents had left without him. And he was living alone in a hut. So it seemed like the girls were all involved in the community and they were all like walking around together with everybody, with the adults and everything. But this boy was kind of isolated off by himself, off to the side. It was really weird. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about like <clears throat> the FDLS movements, yep. um, those branches off of like the Mormon sex and yep. stuff where the teenage boys are isolated from the teenage girls mm-hmm. almost um, f- from what i've read is that because the leaders believe those teenage boys are a threat to their potential budding relationships with their soon-to-be wives so i'm wondering mm. if that was like the same dynamic again this is just hypothetical i don't know it could be i mean it, it was very striking to me that he was just left alone by himself right as a, like he was the same age as my son right just go figure it out dude Peace out. Um, Okay, so it was almost like the boys were not wanted or needed in Strong City. And eventually his mom came for him and his sister. And Michael told them not to resist as they would be reunited once again when the end of days came. He also encouraged the teens to have their mom sign over custody to their grandparents who were still in the cult. The boy's sister went on a hunger strike at her mom's home and nearly starved herself to death in protest. Jeez. Which eventually resulted in the mom caving in and signing over custody. Oh, my God. So just sending her right back to this disgusting guy. But what is, I mean, I can't even imagine what I would do. I don't, I, yeah. And I don't want to blame her because I don't know what kind of situation or what kind of pressure she was under, but it'd be really hard for me to do that. Yeah. I mean, she's like, well, you're either killing yourself yeah, or I send this, you back to this, this perpetrator. Right. What do you do? I, I don't even know. And I wouldn't it, have an answer. It says a lot to the girl's state of mind, too. You know, and her um, complete being completely brainwashed mm-hmm. into this ideology that this is what she needs in her life. She'd rather die and, instead of being kept away from him. Yeah. Weird. 
So Michael was convinced again that after midnight on October 31st, 07, there would be a huge change of body as he described it. He said that his physical body would cease to exist and he would become a different body and so would his followers. Um, so he kind of changed it from the world's going to end to a more um, metaphysical kind of statement, which was strange. And you could really interpret that several ways, but it seemed like he was being purposely vague. So he never specifically said, this is what I'm going to turn into, or I'm going to turn into an angel or an alien. A butterfly. Or... Right, a butterfly, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to look a little bit different. I might have highlights next time you see me. I might not have a beard next time. Yeah. You don't know. You don't know. I it's might, up to God. I might wear different glasses. Yeah. Might be wearing a blue shirt. Instead and of if a white it's shirt. different, then I've proved the prophecy. And you're right. Yep. That's it's kind of ingenious if you think about it's it. It's really smart, yeah. yeah. In a chilling scene, uh, journalists are there on the night of the 31st, and they aren't allowed to be on the compound, but they're kind of on the road off to the side of it, and they watch all these cult members leave the compound, and they're all like screaming and chanting and laughing and hollering, and there's like trumpets blaring in the background. They're there until after midnight, and then it's like, oh, just kidding. Nothing happened. The world didn't end, you guys. You know, it's interesting that you bring up like kind of this delirium, this delirious behavior that mm -hmm. they're exhibiting, which sometimes you'll see when people have been, um, you know, like praying for 48 hours nonstop with no break, no water, no food, and you become delirious. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of what it sounds like. Yeah. And I mean, the world didn't end then, but... Wait, what? But it seems... Say what? <laughs> but it seems like it is ending right now well now because <laughs> so you know <laughs> the he end was, is nigh. he was only 13 years off he really wasn't that far off round it up yeah his math was a little bit maybe he didn't carry the three okay yeah i mean he was using an abacus right we all know how difficult an abacus can be maybe he was trying common core math and he didn't know how to do it i don't know how to do it <laughs> did you see that meme about it was it was like this parent and a kid and the kid's like, I don't get this. And the parent's like, I don't either. Unfortunately, you go to a really shitty school right now. <laughs> and so did I. <laughs> and that's like a, a stab at, you know, homeschooling <laughs> during COVID-19. During COVID. Okay. So what did happen, even though the world did not end, was Michael was charged with child sexual abuse and arrested on May 6th of 2008. He went to trial and in November and was convicted in December of one count of criminal sexual contact with a minor, two counts of contributing to the delinquency of a minor. His defense tried to stand on the position that there was no sexual contact. In other words, they argued that the girl he did not touch the girls on their private parts, even though he was nude and they were nude together. They even went so far as to kind of demonstrate that his hand was perpendicular between their breasts when he touched them and not... Betwixt. <laughs> betwixt. And not actually on the breasts, which... Seems like a technicality to me. The bottom line is this creepy old man is naked with these little girls. Right. And it blows my mind there was only one count of inappropriate contact with a minor. When the minors themselves are saying, I laid with him. I wanted him to hold me naked and he did. You know, again, it's not about um, their initiating. It's about what he did. Yep. Because he groomed them to do that. Well, and he was an authority figure. He right. was God in their mind, right? Right. So how do you say no to God? And that's why it's just so alarming that the courts only found him guilty of one count. Yeah. When you have dozens of instances. Yeah. 
that he himself admitted. Yeah, no, he was totally open about it. And so were the girls. They were on on uh, camera. Well, they weren't on camera, but they were. you could hear them during the trial. And one girl was even like, they asked her if he touched that, uh, if he touched her. And she said, yes, but not directly on the breast. Like, oh, she was coached to say something. She was totally coached yeah, to say not- that lingo that you would necessarily Who? hear yeah yeah like when you were 13 would you have ever talked like that no god <laughs> um so he was i spoke in corn lyrics from <laughs> a limp biscuit lyrics at 13. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I did it all for the nookie oh that's not <laughs> appropriate to talk about right now um he was sentenced to 18 years in prison which was the maximum sentence for the charges at the time and as a result of his sentencing and subsequent arrest he went into a hunger strike as a means to kill himself. Oh, no. Don't do Don't it. Don't stop. stop. Just stop. Eat Quit something. <laughs> Here, have a sandwich. Oh, don't do this to us. Don't kill yourself. Um, he, <laughs> he said he would not allow himself to be fed by the hand of the beast. Burn. Get burnt. I can't help but think of Alyssa Edwards' beast. <laughs> Uh, This only strengthened the resolve of his son and other cult members comparing Michael's ordeal to the ordeals and persecution of Jesus Christ. Keep in mind, this is the son that he had sex with the wife of. Okay. Yeah. And they also felt that Michael was betrayed by a disciple just like Jesus and falsely accused of a crime he did not commit. So he was over 60. So yeah. In 2011, the New Mexico Court of Appeals overturned the convictions against Michael Citing the fact that the grand jury was not legally assembled in the original case. And we don't know what that means. So if any attorneys listening want to chime in on what that is, it sounds like a really um, small technicality to the layperson. Let's call Edna. Right. (laughs) (laughs) If you're hurt, call Edna. (laughs) But if you want to weigh in on what that actually means, maybe it is something that's completely um, serious, especially in somebody's due process rights. Okay, we give them that. But if it, if it is a minute detail or minute error, it's very frustrating for the layperson to hear that this guy's conviction is overturned by this small little piece. Technicality. Yeah. yeah. So luckily, the state appealed the ruling to the New Mexico Street Supreme Court. And in 2012, the New Mexico Court of Appeals ruling was overturned and Michael was ordered to complete four more years of his sentence. He was released in 2016 on parole, partially due to the fact that he had been diagnosed with cancer, which was threatening to take his hearing. That's all. Yeah. So he only got, he only served like eight and a half years of his sentence. Oh, and I'm guessing the hunger strike, it didn't work out very well. Didn't help him, yeah. He ended up eating something. Yeah, well, they actually, I didn't include this, but they did, the court compelled him to, like, he was court ordered to eat. Um, and he was, I think, basically force fed. And then he, then he decided, oh, it's God's will that I should eat again. Oh, how convenient. <laughs> oh, the sandwich is so good. <laughs> Actually, God does want me to eat. Bring me more deals. He told me that he wants me to sleep with more of your wives and to eat jail food. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Actually, he didn't eat jail food. They let his uh, followers bring in their own food for him. Shut up. I'm not kidding. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. So he's eating a Philly cheesesteak sandwich. Uh, I think they were like vegetarian. Oh. So he's probably eating tofu. I mean, I'm a recovering vegetarian, so... Um, <laughs> so today, all the websites that were owned by the cult and by Wayne or Michael are offline, and there's been little mention of the group in the media since 2017. They seem to have just kind of fallen off the map. So he's probably still alive. Mm-hmm. The group is probably, I'm just guessing, still functioning. Mm-hmm. 
they've probably just learned to go deeper under the radar. Yeah. That's what I'm assuming. Yeah, which, I mean, if he is a, a pedophile and a, and a child abuser, he's probably not changed either. No. Um, maybe he just kind of increased his control and his brainwashing efforts to make sure that the word doesn't get out again. Yep. Uh, a lot of the things that I I referenced and I researched with will be in the show notes. So if you're interested, you can find them on trueconsequences.com for this part, as well as for Lydia's cult that she's going to cover. Um, and yeah, so Lydia, I think it's your turn to talk about your crazy, creepy cult. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I'm going to be talking about um, this very unique situation. And I'm going to preface this with, this is all based on allegations. Um, I'm saying that because this group is still very active. They still have a website. They still have a presence here in New Mexico. They are still fighting legal cases. And they have very powerful attorneys behind them. So I don't want to be slapped with any sort of a libel lawsuit. Her name is Lydia Wahlberg. She lives at... (laughs) Oh, sorry. We'll do that later. Don't you set me up for that. <laughs> um, so obviously Eric talked about how um, New Mexico is sort of like kind of prime territory. But if you think about like the U.S. as a whole, like we've obviously had very prominent cults. I would identify as cults or other people have identified as cults within the United States. So you have Heaven's Gate. They're known for their mass suicide and their black Nikes, mm-hmm. um, Branch Davidians, yep. um, kind of connected to a little bit of what Eric just talked about. Eric, how was that connection? Oh, because uh, David Koresh was a Seventh-day Adventist and so was Michael Trevesser. There you go. Boom. Roasted. But like, I'm not going to say that Seventh-day Adventists are prime for generating cult leaders. There's just that connection yeah. with David Koresh um, and and um, his group. And mm-hmm. obviously we know the disastrous raid in Waco. Um, obviously the U.S. was home to Jim, Jim Jones, yep. the People's Temple. They actually started in Indiana, also known for our Vice President Pence. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying there's a connection. I'm just pointing that out. Leave your political bullshit outside, yes. Lydia. Okay, this is a <laughs> political free zone. Um, and obviously the People's Temple and Jim Jones led to the massive suicide in Jonestown, Guyana. Um, you also know that like a, an elected official was assassinated when they tried to go and interview people at um, Jonestown? Yeah, I heard that. Yes. That's totally, a crazy story. Totally crazy. But anyway, back to New Mexico. So obviously we could be a good home base for cults. This isn't a recruiting ad. We're just pointing out the obvious. Lots of land. Not many people. Lots of people living off grid here. Yeah. It's a common thing. Well, I mean, what would the what would the hashtag look like from the tourism board? Like, instead of NM True, it'd be like NM Cult. Yeah. Cult as you are. <laughs> cult as you are. Go away. That's a, Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh wait, Nirvana's gonna sue us now. <laughs> Her name is Lydia Wahlberg. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna talk today about a cult who actually ended up settling here in New Mexico, um, near Gallup, New Mexico. And so this cult may not be very 
you know, well-known, um, but they're still definitely important and they're still very active and they have a lot of current litigation going on. Uh, may not be as well-known as the Manson family, but they still allegedly carried out some unspeakable crimes and they're known as the Aggressive Christianity Missions Training Corps. So they started around 1981, 1980 in Sacramento, California. And their ori- original name was um, Free Love Ministries. That sounds nice. Yes, Right sounds innocuous safe sounds like um, woodstock a little... right woodstocks um <laughs> so they created a hierarchy similarly to you know the military so people were um, identified as generals or colonels and according to the cult education institute the leaders um jim and lita green they started out as colonels and now they're considered brigadier generals and they are the main leaders of this group now um so they taught that christians uh, may have demons living inside them and so in my research i had a hard time um, understanding what the actual teachings were. So mm. bear with me. I'm going to summarize what my interpretation was. So if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You can comment and edit as you see fit. But my understanding is that they taught that there was these dim- demons naturally living inside your average Christian. And it was uh, incumbent upon that, that Christian to practice um, and have a devout faith to keep these demons at bay. Um, and whatever bad behaviors came out, that was the demon coming out. And essentially humans were considered the food of Satan. So Satan was swooping up all these souls for his, for himself. Um, and their goal was to eradicate that. Hmm. Um, and that they were God's army. They were here to, to annihilate anybody who was a threat to their preachings, to God. Um, so sounds pretty chill. Yep, super chill. Um, so chill, in fact, that the Southern Poverty Law Center identified them as a hate group because they espouse a lot of anti-Semitic, a lot of anti-LGBTQ sentiments. Um, again, they would say like those are manifestations of ungodly behavior. Cool. So according to the Cult Education Institute, the second unbiblical teaching, and they called it unbiblical, meaning like they considered other teachings to be biblical, but they were unbiblical. By um, starting what they practice, um, the manifest sons of God, um, the dominion, the kingdom of now. So as a result of this teaching, people were committed to aggressive Christianity and encouraged to be part of a man-child company or the overcomers. Um, So other groups involved with this teaching, they believed that there was an elite group of people um, and their job is to overcome the enemies of Christ. And so it would manifest in different names. So man-child company, the overcomers, they are so, their job is to overpower and annihilate the enemies of Christ. So the name of the group, um, Aggressive Christianity Training Corps, obviously they had this prior name. They led a mission um, throughout Africa, different countries in Africa, around the 1980s and they started to make headlines as early as 1987 because one of their um, missions led to the malaria death of a follower he was an american convert he contracted malaria while building a religious outpost in uganda um and he was he was buried there basically he was left to die there um, the leaders of the group kind of washed their hands of it um they left it to the family of the convert and the U.S. government to fi- figure out what happened to him and to try to bring his body back to the U.S. That's so shitty. Yeah, they were just like, not our problem. Um, Sorry, bro. Right. So he's building this religious outpost that they called it, uh, which again has kind of militaristic 
um, undertones. undertones to it. And he contracts malaria. He gets really sick. He dies there. His family in the U.S. is like, bring our son back. And they're like, it's not our problem. So the family then had to coordinate with the um, U.S. government. I'm not sure if they were ever actually able to bring his body back. Mm. Um, so the cult actually started to move around the United States. They try to hide their names. They try to hide their leaders um, because a former member began a lawsuit against them um, around the late 1980s, and she was alleging abuse in this lawsuit. So according to the Sacramento Bee, a 39-year-old Sacramento woman um, sued the Free Love Ministries, claiming that the unorthodox Christian group held, quote, held her captive for six months. They took away all of her possessions, she alleged, turned her family against her. Also, um, she allegedly had to sign over her home. She unknowingly gave up legal custody. um, And she unknowingly agreed to a divorce during what she called her captivity. So, yeah, she highlights all these really egregious abuses in her lawsuit. So during that time, she alleged that her diet only consisted of one small peanut butter sandwich that was stale. Um, She said that for six months, she wasn't allowed to bathe. She had no access to hot water. Um, She didn't commonly have access to a bathroom. Um, They kept her in a shed. She says, I was afraid to walk away. They told me this was my last chance. And if I didn't stick it out, I'd go to hell. Mm. She says, I was just mentally under control. She said, I guess you'd call it brainwashed. So eventually she was granted a judgment um, from the courts for her lawsuit. And because of this judgment, they continue to try to thwart any sort of identifiers from the federal government because they didn't want to be held accountable to this lawsuit that she won um she later shared that she was held in a five by 12 foot wooden shed with a low ceiling that prevented her from standing up straight the other women would sometimes have to share the shed um ending her her marriage was considered a test um and that she blindly signed over custody of her children um, so they continued, the the group continued to try to fly under the radar again to avoid this lawsuit because they didn't want to have to actually answer to any of her allegations. Um, but they started popping up around Las Cruces, New Mexico and El Paso, Texas, um, which other reports indicate that they were trying to recruit there. But neighbors in those in those communities were definitely uncomfortable with their their presence there the way that they presented themselves um one gentleman in las cruces actually defined or described the leader of the cold as quote being a manson type he said when you mm. looked into her eyes he said she was not a safe person allegedly well and if you look at her pictures she's really creepy looking her and her husband both are very creepy looking yes the aesthetics are not pleasant when well, they're wearing like full-on general regalia yeah like a beret, white linen They've dresses, got stars yeah, on their shoulder pads, right? Patches on their arms, right? As if they fought some sort of battle. So one thing that I was talking to Eric about is, you know, you talk about like current trending um, stuff during this COVID. A lot of people are staying home and watching Netflix, mm-hmm. and I got sucked into the Tiger King. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, okay. Well, it's pretty good. But one of the women that they interviewed, she was an employee of um, a large cat zoo in Myrtle Beach, and she describes cult-like behavior. And it really struck me because I was thinking it's so easy for people from the outside to maybe say, like, well, why would you endure that? Why would you put up with that? Um, Why don't you just walk away? And I think this woman really summed it up pretty perfectly in this documentary, Tiger King. Um, So she was um, working at this large cat zoo in Myrtle Beach, 
um, and under the uh, under the control and employment of this guy who um, identified himself as a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, he um, is a white guy, but he took on the name Bhagavan Antle, some sort of like mystical Indian name. Um, and Bhagavan means Lord. Right. So um, she, basically to paraphrase what she said, she said, sure, they tell you you can leave at any time. You're not locked up. There aren't any chains keeping you there. But there's other invisible, countless ties that keep you there. And that's what makes it so hard to leave, right? Mm-hmm. Your finances are incorporated into this group. Your psychology is incorporated to this group. Your support group. Your identity. Your identity, right? Like typical abuser identity, they tear you down and yeah. build you up into what they want. Yeah. And, and again, it goes to the blaming the victim, right? The idea of why don't you just leave? You're the one that's still there. Right. This is your fault. Right. Yeah. You asked for it. Right. Um, so I really think that she summed that up really perfectly. Um, so going back to the aggressive Christianity cults. Um, so they're, Allegedly. Allegedly. Well, their name is the aggressive Christianity. Um, <laughs> they don't go by the name cult, though, <laughs> allegedly. Um, so around the year 2000, CYF, CYFD here in New Mexico Which actually... Is, sorry, I'm going to yeah, cut in. It's go called for the it. Children, Youth, and Families Division, which is our... Um, our office that handles child abuse cases. So it would be similar to a CPS in another state or whatever they call it in wherever you are. Perfect. Thank you. No, no, no. Sorry, not sorry. Um, So around 2000, they attempted to remove children from this compound in Gallup um, because they received reports of sexual and physical abuse. So one thing that I thought was so surprising when I was looking at the research is that local law enforcement in that area, so local sheriffs, local state police, um, they thought that the report given to CYFD came from a woman who they considered to be not trustworthy. And this goes back to what I believe, what Eric believes, is listen to survivors, listen to victims. Um, again, it's like a statistical anomaly for there to be a fo- yep. false report. Yep. It happens so rarely that it's almost unquantifiable in terms of statistics. Yeah, absolutely. So according to the Albuquerque Journal from February 2000, former um, police officer Darren White interviewed an unidentified woman who claimed in his reports that children in the sect Um, had been sexually abused and were being intentionally burned. And so this interview was the basis of CYFD's investigation. Um, But for local law enforcement, they thought the allegation was flimsy at best. Mm. So they said, quote, none of these allegations have been confirmed. State police captain Glenn Thomas of Gallup referring to the woman's allegations. They're taking it from a witness who is shaky, he said. What does that mean? I don't know. That she, I guess that they're saying she's not trustworthy. Because, I mean, if you're talking about physically shaky, maybe she's having PTSD. I think they meant like personality wise. (laughs) I think that they later highlighted that they considered her a transient. They said that she had made several other reports. This bullshit. Right. That old card. Yeah. Um, So White said that he was, um, Darren White said he stood by his story, but he didn't want to comment on that news article that was being published at the time. Um, The woman was identified by authorities as El Falen, who law enforcement officials said was a member of the group for a short time and was a transient. Hmm. Um, Police said Falen had made unfounded allegations in the past 
And they said, quote, our department has had one or two cases involving her that turned out to be nothing, said Johnny Valdez, Cibola's county undersheriff. I think it's the department's opinion that the case should probably have been investigated further before the state attempted to remove the children, Valdez said. So it's really disappointing to see that these local officials um, are kind of creating this barrier. Yeah. Like this really serious allegation has come up and they're like, hey, pump the brakes. Let's just um, give them the benefit of the doubt, basically. I understand investigating further, but when something as serious as child abuse, child sexual abuse is being raised, mm-hmm. that's kind of an expedited thing. And we also know there's a critical moment of where you legally should be authorized to interview children separate from their potential abusers yep. in order to determine if there is any sort of authenticity to those allegations. Well, and I think the state really has a, a track record of not taking allegations of child abuse seriously until it's too late. Right. I, you know, that's been the theme of, of this whole uh, season so far really has been, you know, the authorities not taking these allegations seriously. And um, I really hope that something will change soon because if it looks like a crazy, creepy child abusing cult and it talks like a crazy, creepy child abusing cult, and it walks like a crazy, creepy child abusing cult. It probably is. Word. Yep. So. So um, it's unclear what happened with this original 2000 child abuse investigation. I couldn't figure out what the outcome was. Um, but the group pops up again on the radar around 2005 when the main leaders, the main generals of the group, Jim Green um, and his wife, Deborah, apparently got into some sort of scuffle with two other members um, of the group. And it's alleged that Jim threatened to kill his wife, Deborah, and that he beat two other members with a cane. Um, so Wait, he threatened to kill his own wife? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So completely stable guy. Completely stable. And um, so Jim Green is arrested. Um, but according to a sergeant with the Cibola County Sheriff's Department, there is no evidence of any criminal activity by the aggressive Christians. Hmm. And Green has always been cooperative with authorities. Okay. Right. So according to the Albuquerque Journal, Green was released. He apologized to the members that he allegedly beat. And everything was hunky-dory. Hey, bro. Sorry right? to your ass. <laughs> yeah. We good? Yeah, we good. Um, Hug it out. So apparently everything was hunky-dory. According to local law enforcement, the Albuquerque Journal again highlighted um, what I perceive as a blatant indifference by law enforcement. They said, quote, the group claims to be devoted to the Bible. They're vegetarian. They model themselves off of the Salvation Army with an aggressive um, commitment to mission work, taking in troubled people who want to change their way of life so basically a crazy creepy cult right definition and that's coming from the sheriff's department sergeant harry hall was he like a member of this cult? <laughs> not, not that i'm aware of <laughs> um so hall told the paper that in the five years of dealing with the greens and the christian group um the only problems they ever had were people attacking them and people vandalizing their property Y'all, they just love Jesus. Y'all, they just want to help. They want to make the world a better place, y'all. They want to abduct people who are vulnerable <laughs> and take them in. They're changing lives each and every day. And abuse them, y'all. It's okay, y'all. Yeah. Essentially. I mean, 
and that's crazy. That's back in, again, 2005, 2006. So let's fast forward now to 2007. Oh, into the world. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so again, the cult leaders, Deborah and her son-in-law, Peter, in 2017, they're indicted on child sex abuse charges, according to the New York Post. So members of the mil- so this is again by the New York Post. They say members of the military-style Christian group in New Mexico were arrested on what authorities called horrific crimes against children. Mm. So Peter Green, the aggressive Christianity Missions Training Corps in Fence Lake, um, he was arrested in August of 2017 on a hundred counts of criminal Holy sexual cow. penetration of a child. Deborah Green, his mother-in-law. And her husband, James Green, were the generals of the sect. And Deborah um, was charged as well. And again, just a reminder that for a long time, the Southern Poverty Law Center was identifying them as a hate group. Deborah Green and another member, Stacy Miller, were charged with child abuse, bribery of a witness, and not reporting a birth. Um, so one thing to, to note about Stacy Miller, who's kind of this this co-conspirator or, or other woman charge is that previously her husband had filed a missing persons report and he said he hadn't seen Stacy in years or their children. Authorities later discovered Stacy was alive and well. So were the majority of her children, except for one, her son Enoch, who had died at the compound at the age of 13 mm. of the flu. They had just buried his body. They never reported to authorities. They never gave them access to medical care, all because, according to Stacy Miller, that any sort of intervention from um, health professionals would um, circumvent what God's plan it's was. It's the devil. Yeah. So um, when, this, when Enoch's body had been discovered, that was back in 2013, 2014. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until 2017 that Deborah Green, the leader of the, the group, was arrested. Wow. So this teenage boy's body was uncovered on the compound, but nothing happened at that time between when his body was discovered and 2017. Lydia, people die from the flu all the time. Yep. More people die. From the flu than anything I mean, else. I didn't know this, but apparently the flu is a big deal. It is. It is. Not to... Okay. I mean, that was really a joke and I didn't mean it to be at his expense because it's really sad that the way he was treated and the way his body was treated that's that's horrible so I don't want people to think that I take that lightly I don't no I think that you're you're highlighting that people do take it lightly right yeah me sarcastic yeah. <laughs> what so the sheriff's office started investigating the group they say in 2013 2014 because Enoch apparently died of the flu. So he was buried on the sect property. No one reported his death. And when asked why she didn't get her son medical help, Miller said that she wanted to trust God. Mm. Investigators also said that a young girl was sexually assaulted. And they believe that this young girl was smuggled in from Uganda under the direction <sighs> of the leader, Deborah. It's alleged that Deborah instructed, I believe, her daughter to smuggle in this young girl from Uganda. They forged allegedly forged documents for the baby and that she was essentially kept as a slave for Deborah, the, the sect leader. <sighs> Deborah allegedly whipped her. She allowed her son-in-law, Peter, to rape her until she was nine. The girl was then eventually removed from children by cyfd and the girl actually 
um, was able to testify wow um in court against her alleged abusers poor girl it's horrible yeah and and the judge actually made a specific comment to her saying you you are strong and they will never be able to take that away from you you're gonna go ahead and live out your life remaining strong i just feel like this could have all been avoided if people would have taken the original allegations seriously absolutely i mean think about how many years had passed yeah 20 the original report came in 2000 they're not indicted until 2017 authorities know at minimum 18 children live there and so that led to a kind of a cascade of other charges a failure to report births um so again children are being born in a sect nobody knows who they are were they born there were they born somewhere else they just are not documenting anything so that led to other charges so finally in september 2018 deborah green the sect leader was sentenced to 72 years Um, However, she and her husband have filed an appeal. Um, They're requesting a new trial, citing what they believe is a huge error in the state's case, saying that the the interview done with the young girl from Uganda in 2006, quote, lawyers say a 2006 psychological assessment of the girl from Uganda showed no signs of psychologically being traumatized or depressed and denied abuse. Mm. So in March of 2020, which is very recent, Stacy Miller... That's right now. Yes. Stacy Miller was... Um, she pled guilty and was sentenced to um, nine years in prison um, in connection to the death of her son, Enoch. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. So that's where we're at right now. So right now, the leaders of the sect are actively fighting their, their sentence... Um, while some of the lower level people have accepted their sentence and that's why we are a little bit more cautious with this with this segment just because this is an active case sure and and they're still operating as a religious quote organization exactly their website is live there's a lot of information about them online and i would have Never even really known about it until Eric suggested we start looking at this activity in New Mexico, cult activity yep. in New Mexico. Yep. That was a crazy story. I know. And it's still ongoing. It's going to get crazier, I bet. Yeah. So I think it's definitely, if we can impart anything on our listeners, is um, listen to survivors. Yeah. Don't discount what they say. As crazy as a story might sound, hey, we know now. That stuff happens. Oh, yeah. People could easily get sucked into a crazy, creepy cult. Mm-hmm. And they're here in New yep. Mexico. Yep. So I guess I would just say stay safe, New Mexico, and don't join any crazy, creepy cults. Even though it's easy to here in New Mexico. And even if they wear cool uniforms with hats. And wash your damn hands. Wash your hands. And also stay home. And don't cough on people's faces. And don't cough on groceries. And don't be a jerk. Yep. Okay, bye. Thanks again for listening to True Consequences. Follow us on social media on Instagram and Facebook at True Consequences Pod and on Twitter at True Cons Pod. True Consequences is hosted, written, and produced by me, your host, Eric Carter Landine. Thanks for listening and stay safe, New Mexico.